Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our text for our sermon is our gospel lesson, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. To remind you of that account, I will read the first three verses. If you love me, hold on to my commands. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he stays with you and will be in you. This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you knew that you would be in the grave, dead, your soul in heaven and your body in the grave in 24 hours time, what would you do? What would you tell your best friend? What would you tell your family if you have children, your children? What would you do with your earthly possessions? I actually think it'd be pretty terrible to know that you were not going to be around in 24 hours. But Jesus did. He knew that night he was going to be betrayed. And he knew that by this time the next day on Good Friday, his body would rest in the grave. And so he comforts his disciples in his speech on the same night that he institutes the Lord's Supper. We covered part of that speech in last week's sermon text, and we continue covering it right on the heels of that in this week's sermon text. And the great comfort he had to give was that he was sending them, the Holy Spirit, who would even give them his presence in an even better way than his being right in front of them. And so today our sermon theme is, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to help you. Now, He knows everything that's going to happen and he knows where he's going to send these men out as the apostles to share his word. So he says, if you keep on loving me, then you will most certainly watch over the commands, specifically those that are mine. The Greek there is very clunky. So is an English translation of it. Why? Because Jesus is spelling out something. There are lots of customs that our church has that are good but they're not necessarily directed or given to us by Jesus. There are things our church does that are commanded by Jesus. So Jesus is saying, if you love me, it's not traditions that you're going to hang on to, even if they're beneficial. It's not man-made teachings. You're going to cling to my word. And when those things contradict my word, you'll get rid of those things. He says commands. What do you think of when you hear God talk about commands? You think of the Big Ten. The Ten Commandments. But Jesus means something more here than just the Big Ten. And he means something more here than just the Old Testament. word here can be translated as well as instructions. Or there are commands that are not law at all. They're gospel imperatives, we call them. For example, at his ascension, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's an invitation to do it, something he empowers us to do. Or how about this? He who believes in me and is baptized will be saved. It's more than just Jesus' Ten Commandments. It's the package deal. It's his law and the good news of forgiveness and the proclamation. When he rises, he will give the church, you and I also make up the church, the keys to bind and loose sin. He wants all of this done. So here we get to understand, lots of times we think we want to define what love for God is. God says, if you love me, this is how you show it. 
You treasure up and hold on to my teachings. On my commands, my teachings, my instructions. You will do what I want you to do. Which especially all revolves around proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. But how are you and I to do it? We're not the greatest at this. We're sinners. And, and think about the apostles. They, they still have a lot of misunderstandings about who the Messiah is. Jesus has told them time and time again he's going to be crucified and die for their sins and raise again. And it seems like they're hearing none of it because they want a different kind of Savior. What are they to do? Jesus says, and he's talking chronologically in time here, and I personally will ask the Father and then he will give another, and the Greek word is very interesting, accompanying helper to you. And he's talking in the plural. Not just to the apostles then, which he was, but for you and I as well. An accompanying helper. Someone called to the side to help. Who is this accompanying helper? Who would help them remember and keep these teachings and these instructions? He says, so he may keep on being in you disciples' midst forever. I'm leaving. I'm removing my physical presence from you. I'm going to die on the cross tomorrow evening. But I'm sending somebody who will always be with you, always be in your midst, always be among you. Their presence is always going to be a good thing. And who is this person? He spells that out for us in verse 17. That is the spirit of truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and he calls him the spirit of truth. Why that? Brothers and sisters in Christ, you have been living in a rock if you're not aware of all the conspiracy theories right now that are just exploding in our news. And there's so many of them that you start, if, if you, whether you, even if you don't believe them, you start wanting to believe them because they're so prevalent. Well, let me tell you about the greatest conspiracy that ever happened in history and it was successful. The devil is the father of all lies. And he lied to Adam and Eve and they believed his lie and they fell into sin. And their children, like Adam and Eve, unless God intercedes with that spirit of truth, are born slaves to sin, death and the devil. They will believe every lie the devil has to say, but they won't believe the truth that God is a gracious God who loves you, who is holy and wants to save you. And so one of the great lies is that we earn our own salvation. We will believe in any God that we can butter up in one way or the other to squeeze some blessing out of, but we won't in and of ourselves believe that God loved us, gave himself for us, and has freely given us salvation. The Holy Spirit has to give us the faith. He comes with that truth. He works through the word, which is the truth, and he convinces us of its truth. Jesus says something about this work in verse 17. After telling us it's the spirit of truth, he says who the world is unable to receive because it does not observe him, nor does it know him. Now, the word he uses for see or observe is one in which you observe with sustained attention. So you hire a private detective because you think your neighbor or your spouse is doing something bad. And that private eye follows them around and gets to know their patterns and where they're going to be. And he's able to observe them more. You can't do that with the Holy Spirit. Though you can't tell the Holy Spirit where to be. He's a spirit. You don't even see him. So the world cannot believe him, believe in him. They cannot receive him. They cannot receive him because they cannot observe him with sustained attention. And the word he knows for know is one of an intimate experiential knowledge. I know 
my family that live under my roof because I live with them. I can, I'm not perfect because I'm not God, but I can usually predict their behavior and the outcomes of it. But the world cannot know the Holy Spirit. They cannot force him in. This, brothers and sisters in Christ, spells out something because one of the lies the devil has led us to believe when we get to the point that we believe in this Holy Spirit, the devil leads us to believe that we receive him in one of two ways. Either God sends him to jumpstart us and then we're earning our salvation. That's a lie. The other way, and you hear me talk about it a lot, is the idea that you, like the scientific method, sit down and you observe and you get to recognize him and finally you say, yeah, I make my decision for Christ and you invite the Holy Spirit into your heart. These are wrong. You can't receive the Holy Spirit. He has to come. God has to send him. Because of original sin, we are blind in a lie. And only he can come and give us that truth. He does that working through the word. And he says to the disciples, you personally do know him. He's not talking to unbelievers, brothers and sisters in Christ. They have the Holy Spirit living in their hearts. God the Father, God the Son, they send the Holy Spirit. He works through the Word to give you that new man. That is faith. That new man hears the Word and says, that is truth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And even though the apostles are confused at this time, they do have faith. But he says, because he keeps on remaining at your side. And then he says, and he will be in you. The disciples were confused. They didn't want to hear the things Jesus was saying. Their sinful nature was clouding it. Jesus was going to send the Holy Spirit in a special way. They already have him because they're believers. He's going to send him in a special way with gifts in which he will come and he will remind them of the teaching of Jesus and he'll connect the dots for them so they'll say, Ah, I get it. He died and rose for my sins. And they'll go out into the world and proclaim it. As we heard Peter say in our epistle, You as believers confess the Lord. The Holy Spirit gives you that ability after he gives you faith. And as we heard Paul actually doing before the great philosophy town of his age. So we see Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to help you. The Holy Spirit gives you faith in Jesus and he empowers you with spiritual gifts. When he's in our midst, he's among the church, the invisible church. You and I are the invisible church. We're gathered together and he shares his gifts. So you and I get to get, get to use those to proclaim the good news of salvation in Christ, which gets us right back to keeping Jesus's instructions. And so Jesus says furthermore of this Holy Spirit, this wonderful blessing they're going to get out of him in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, I asked you, what would you do if you told you were going to be dead in 24 hours? If I were to be dead in 24 hours, I would be leaving my children as orphans. Oh, I have done uh, the best I could to instill the good news of salvation in Christ in them. So hopefully I would see them again in heaven. But it may be 80 or more years before I would see them again. I would be leaving them as orphans. Jesus, he's going to be at God, in heaven. He told the thief on Friday, you will be with me today in paradise. So Jesus is going to heaven, but he's not leaving them as orphans. He says, I am coming to you. Now, it's very important here that we pay attention to tense. If he said, I will come to you, we would think 
He's talking about the resurrection appearance and he's ultimately talking about judgment day. And I'm not saying those are excluded. He says this in the present tense. I am coming to you. Part of Jesus' coming to us is his death. Part of Jesus' coming to us is his resurrection. Part of Jesus' coming to us is his ascension where he rules at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The triune God does not work to the exclusion of the others. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Jesus asks the Father to send the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit, as we confess, proceeds from the Father and the Son. And when that Holy Spirit comes, he connects us to Jesus. We have Jesus' special presence. Jesus says, there's still a short time and then the world no longer observes me. He's going to be dead tomorrow. The world ain't going to see him anymore. They're not going to be able to observe him and follow his behavior. Yet you disciples personally keep on observing me. You're going to continue being able to observe me because I myself keep on living. You also will live. This all happens because of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, and not only does he give you faith, when he gives you faith, he connects you to Christ. I'm told I'm not a very good gardener. I don't have a green thumb, so maybe I couldn't do it, but some of you could. You can take a branch of a tree that's dying, isn't very healthy. You can cut that branch off and connect it into a healthy tree, and it will live. The Holy Spirit connects you to Christ. And when he does, the life of Christ flows through you. Jesus is, never ceases to exist. I'm going to be dead tomorrow, but I'm still living. And because of that, you will continue living. You have eternal life right now. You are alive in Christ. His blood is the sap that keeps you alive and produces the good works you do, such as holding on to his teachings. Because you're saved. The Holy Spirit connects you like that with him. And so... I've told you before, I've envied Thomas because Thomas got to put his hands right there in the nail holes. He got to see where the spirit pierced his side. But you have a better presence of Jesus because the Holy Spirit has entered your heart. He's connected you to him. The Holy Spirit's in you. Jesus is in you. His life is your life. The new man is the Holy Spirit, is the sap of Christ running through you. And that also means being connected to Jesus. You are connected to the Father. Your new person, the saint in you, is God the Father's glory, making God the Father your heavenly daddy. All of this defies our understanding. So we see Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help you. The Holy Spirit gives you faith in Jesus and he gives you the ability to confess your faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit literally connects you to Jesus. Jesus continues that on saying, on that coming day, now you and I know in history that day is Pentecost Sunday, when he sends that Holy Spirit with those extra gifts. On that coming day, you personally will know that I am in my Father and you disciples are in me and I'm in you disciples. If a Jehovah's Witness were to come to your door and you were to argue with them, it's a matter of time. It's one of their tricks they like to use. They will point out to you that the word Trinity or triune is never found in the scriptures. Sometimes I have to try not to laugh with delight when they do this because I respond, neither is the word gravity. The word gravity is never found in scriptures. You would be a fool to deny gravity is in scriptures because people fall out of windows and die and is recorded in scriptures. This is one of the passages that spells out something of the Trinity. The concept is clearly there. Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. We have one God in three persons, not 
Three different gods acting in harmony with each other? No. Not one God who pretends to be three people? No. Three persons, one God. This defies logic. Jesus is in the Father. The Holy Spirit is in Jesus and is in the Father. All three members of the Trinity, one God in three persons. And this means, number one, because God is all-powerful, you can't cut him up. You can't divide him up with a razor. But it means all three members of the Trinity are at work for you, bringing you to and keeping you in salvation. Not one member of the Trinity works the work that they do to the exclusion of the other two. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all at work, are all happy to. They all want you to be kept in your salvation. This should be great comfort. And Jesus says, because that Holy Spirit there, He is in you and you are in Him. Now, you're not God, but you are connected to God. This is the mystical union of all believers that I've already mentioned prior in in today's sermon. So the Holy Spirit connects you to God so that you know the Holy Spirit and you know God in this way. And when you hear His word that the Holy Spirit brings you to, you are being reminded of your God. And so He says in verse 21, The one who keeps on holding my commands and also keeps on watching over them, that very person is the one who keeps on loving me. Do you want to know who the Christians are? Look to the fruits of their faith. And the foremost fruit is they hold on to like a child. When a child's in a crowd and they're nervous, what do they do? Mommy or daddy's leg, they grab a hold of it. You take the teachings of God and you grab a hold of them. This is your security. This is your life. You cannot feel your connection to the triune God. You cannot see it, but the word of God assures you of it. The Holy Spirit uses it to strengthen you. And so that other word he uses is is really one of guarding, like a precious treasure. My precious, I'm keeping it. And this is what a Christian will do with the word of God. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, it is sad to say so many Christians belong to churches that teach false things. And they can still be saved. Don't get me wrong. But once you are shown from the word of God that something you are believing in is wrong and contrary to the word of God, you cannot keep clinging to that without driving that Holy Spirit out of your heart. Do you want to know who loves God? It's not. These can be side effects of it. It's not the person who gives the most money to the poor or the person who does this or that. It's the one who clings to the word of God. That is the first and foremost fruit of faith that the Holy Spirit gives you. Now, when you're clinging to the word of God, the Holy Spirit is revealing God to you. God is talking to you. The Holy Spirit is making you believe and say all those promises. Amen. Those are meant for me. Write my name there. And so we're told he will be loved by my father and I personally will love him and will reveal myself to him. Isn't it the irony? You and I are unlovable. God, the father, God, the son sends the Holy Spirit. He gives through that message, gives us faith. And then God loves us all the more. And Jesus is revealed to us. If you want to know Jesus, it's in his instructions, which is recorded for us. It is law and it's gospel. So the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to you. You know Jesus in a way that at this hour, the disciples who had hung around with Jesus for three years didn't know him. Because you are so intimately connected to him. They would get to know him when he sends the Holy Spirit. And he's given you gifts to reveal Jesus to others. So today... As we build towards Ascension and Pentecost Sunday, 
Jesus, knowing he's got less than 24 hours to be alive, comforts his disciples and comforts us. Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to help you. The Holy Spirit gives you faith in Jesus and thereby gives you the ability to confess your faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit connects you to Jesus so that you are alive in him and he is in you and the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to you so you know him very personally as your loving, gracious brother, Savior, and God. Amen. And now to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his own blood and make us a kingdom and priest to God, his father, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen.